2: Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Welcome to the podcast I'm Caroline and I'm Kristen. So Kristen, as we were doing research for this temper tantrums episode it, it, it brought back a couple memories yeah. for me as a child. Um, I recall one particular temper Caroline temper tantrum episode uh, where I had been disciplined. And I didn't like it. I had no taste for the discipline. I was not a fan of it. And I was so mad, but I didn't really know how to tell my parents, like, look, this doesn't seem fair to me as a child, and you should really be, you know, we, maybe you shouldn't come down on me so hard about this this minor thing, um, that I ended up picking up a doorstop. Like, my parents had two, one in the guest room and one, like, yeah, two in the guest room. Anyway. Doorstops. Big. But it was shaped like a jack, and it was solid metal. Like, heavy. Uh Uh-huh. I picked it up and hurled it at the closed door. Because they put me in my room, you know? They were like, no, you go in your room. I picked it up, hurled it against the door, and to this day in my parents' house, there is still (laughs) there is still a hole in the back of the door. You hulked out. I did. How old were you? Shoot. I don't know. I was really little, though. Like, I I was... But, I mean, I picked that sucker up. I was, like, full of baby adrenaline or something. I don't know. I was maybe four maybe that's a little old for a temper tantrum
3: Caroline <gasps> oh my god do I have some sort of personality disorder I mean I didn't want this to be the podcast where I <laughs> had to break that news but shoot no Here no comes. temper tantrums are completely normal they're a normal part of child development while they are are typically clustered in the twos, hence the terrible twos. They'll still spring up from time to time. I still have temper tantrums. You know, something is wrong and I can't verbalize it. Usually, it's that that verbal block. Mm-hmm. You know, I um I'll pick. I will search out metal doorstops as well <laughs> and throw them, preferably through plate glass windows. No, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't actually do. So I that. need to call the police. <laughs> no, no. Um, but. Do you remember how long you were angry? Did it feel like forever, or was it kind of a passing thing?
0: I mean, I, I'm i fairly certain that it was passing, because I remember being so angry in the moment because I'd been disciplined and put in my room, but I'm pretty sure I threw the thing and pouted for a minute, and then was probably playing with my Barbies or something by the end of it. Yeah, what I was surprised to
3: learn about temper tantrums is that the average one only lasts three minutes. I mean, it's probably a very loud and rambunctious and unpleasant three minutes, but Michael Podigal, who is a University of Minnesota pediatric neurologist who has studied temper tantrums in depth, found that they usually only last a couple of minutes, and 10 minutes later after this outburst, after this huge eruption, kids have forgotten and they've moved on.
0: Well, I actually have a lot of admiration for this gentleman because he and his team listened so closely to recordings of children having temper tantrums i don't even like to hear it at a grocery store where mm-hmm. i can walk away right and he studied them but he uh, yeah he actually analyzed toddlers tantrums and found a pattern that is really interesting and makes a lot of sense if you think about it that there tends to be this pattern of anger overlapping with sadness and a lot of this does have to do with a communication barrier that we will talk about in more detail when we get to the science of it, but um, this whole this whole sadness anger thing leads to a three stage tantrum that begins with yelling and screaming, and kids actually can scream loudly enough to rupture capillaries and induce vomiting, and it's often accompanied by sweating, drooling, spitting, runny noses, and pupil dilation. So basically, we're dealing with the exorcist.
3: So you freak out. You have your exorcist moment, and then you transition to physical actions. This is the kicking, the biting, the throwing of doorstops, the throwing of doorstops, and then you kind of fade out into just whimpering and whining. And I, and I remember that from childhood as well, kind of feeling exhausted if mm-hmm. I pitched a fit afterwards. You cry so hard, uh, you just, you kind of just want to, want to sleep for a little bit. Um, and this is interesting. Podigal found that tantrums don't last as long if the child will skip the yelling phase, that initial yelling, and go straight to the physical stuff. If he just picks up something and throws it, or she, uh, then you might have a shorter t- tantrum on your hands. That's the bonus part, even though but- you might have to...
0: Well, I feel like the yelling would at least serve as a warning that you're about to get clocked in the head with a doorstop. Yeah. Maybe you should hope for the yelling. Oh, man. And then there's that
3: quiet moment right before the yelling. And anyone who, you know, parents or anyone who has been around small children knows that look on a child's (laughs) face where they'll turn beet red and they don't say anything. But you can see it's like a, a tea kettle about to burst and then... The screams come, and then the (laughs) teeth, and then the screams. Oh, and it's just the saddest, saddest faces. And a lot of times, i got to give it to parents who are dealing with kids in that prime stage of the temper tantrum during those terrible twos, Mm -hmm. because the thing is... A lot of times they might be societally labeled as bad parents. Like we think of a child acting out as a sign of poor parenting. Mm -hmm. But it's not a sign of poor parenting. It is a sign of something natural and normal going on inside of that child's brain.
0: Yeah, there's external environmental conditions that the kid is dealing with combined with internal neurological maturation issues. And so Kathleen Strassenberger in her book, The Developing Person Through the Lifespan, points out that this whole problem of the, of temper tantrums originates in the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that's right behind the forehead that regulates social behavior, impulse control, and emotions.
3: Yeah, and... Um- as it develops, our emotional responses will become more nuanced. But here's the thing about the prefrontal cortex. It shows the most prolonged period of postnatal development of any region of the human brain. And it's responsible for impulse control. So for years and years and years and years and years, this part of our brain is still developing. And it controls so many um, of these kind of negative behaviors. And on top of that... When you are a toddler, you don't, you can't sit down and say, explain to your parents like you were talking about, like, mom, dad, I feel like the punishment does not fit the crime. So you, <laughs> whatever throw, the crime was. So, yeah, throw a doorstop. so you throw a doorstop.
0: Yeah, they were, they were really mad about that hole in the door. And I felt really bad about it. And then I felt guilty every time I looked at it. But you know why you probably picked up that doorstop? Because the
3: stress hormone cortisol will spike. When these kids are trying to, when they have that language block, when they encounter some kind of barrier and they can't, they can't deal, they can't reason their way out of it and they can't communicate their way out of it. So cortisol spikes, which triggers our fight or flight response. And hence you have the impulse to do something, but unfortunately, the old prefrontal cortex is not mature enough to say,
0: eh, maybe you should not throw that doorstop. Right. And then, you know, you get older, you you stop throwing doorstops, and then we'll talk about this a little later, but I think it's funny that basically the terrible teenage years, Mm -hmm. it's just another prefrontal cortex growth spurt temper tantrum stage. Right. And so then you're back to throwing doorstops as like a 15-year-old.
3: And a lot of times the temper tantrums in children will fade as the, yes, you've got the development of prefrontal cortex, but also it's as their language comprehension increases.
0: Right. So they're actually maybe able to tell mom, like, I'm really hungry. Maybe you should feed me before we go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I have to tell myself that too. And
3: sure, there are some times when kids need to learn to do things that they might not want to have to do, like sit still mm-hmm. in a grocery cart when they're being pushed through the aisles. Um, but... I think it is important for everybody to understand that temper tantrums really are a a normal behavior. And there are ways to mitigate the chances of them happening, at least on such a regular basis or in public. Um, for instance, Dr. Tiffany Cook recommends establishing a routine and being consistent with your own behavior and reactions. And I think that is applicable just in general when right. you stick to a routine you know you know what to expect and and you won't
0: get us confused and
3: i won't and i won't cry <laughs> in trader joe's if they don't have <laughs> yogurt covered
0: pretzels <laughs> that's it is terrible when that happens i've also never done that <laughs> sure <laughs> um well it was pointed out a couple of times that you know kids haven't developed those language skills, but they also haven't developed the same comprehension skills. Like, uh, for instance, the example that was used was, if you're a little person in the world who thinks honestly that there are monsters under your bed and that you have the chance of getting sucked down the drain when the, uh, when the plug is pulled in the mm-hmm. tub, things might seem scary and your anxiety level might be a little high. Like as adults, you know, I stopped worrying like weeks ago that I would get sucked down the drain in the tub. So I'm totally, there's no anxiety anymore. I'm able to communicate much better.
3: Right, yeah. There's, there's a quote from one of these uh, pediatric experts talking about per tantrums and explaining that toddlers think magically. Not rationally right. or logically.
0: Exactly. Well, one other uh, prevention tip is positive reinforcement to reward desired behaviors, you know, using encouraging words or actual like lollipops or whatever to make the kids feel good about choosing the appropriate behavior. So not only maybe demonstrating proper behavior, you know, role playing to show your kid what they should do, but also reinforce when they actually do something positive positive. Mm-hmm.
3: and also i mean there of course this cannot always be avoided in the day-to-day and our hectic schedules but you know taking a kid out when he or she is tired or hungry you are you know raising the stakes of that happening and then also setting reasonable expectations like how much can you really expect for from a two-year-old right and some have more problems with uh, temper tantrums than others. And the thing is, it's just going to happen. Even the most perfect, calm child mm-hmm. is going to pitch a fit at some point. So what do you do,
0: Caroline? You've got to stay calm. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Please.
4: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
0: Um, Remain a role model by doing so. The more attention you give the behavior, the more likely your child is to repeat it. And I think a perfect example of when staying calm really works, uh, and when you should not take your child out when he or she is tired. I was out shopping with my best gal, Jessica, and her child, Austin. I don't remember how old he was at the time, but when we were leaving the house, it was already clear he was very tired. Mm-hmm. Like he was already kind of cranky at home, but with the promise of going to the toy store, he perked up. So we were like, oh, okay, he's cool. No, no, don't be fooled. We got to some clothing store and he was kind of, you know, horsing around. He got under those the, the clothing racks. Oh, yeah. And my friend was like, don't do that. Get out of there. And he kept doing it. So, of course, she's like, nope, we're leaving. We're going home right now. Oh. oh. That whole, like, silent, turning beet red thing started to happen. And I start looking around. I'm like, oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, an a bystander in this. So, But she stayed calm the whole time. She never yelled. She never raised her voice. She never caused a scene and, like, dragged him out by his hair. She just took him out on the sidewalk, squatted down, and is like, we're not doing this right now. We're going to go home. We're going to have a nap and a snack, and everybody's going to be better. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That kid fell asleep in the car on the way home. Exactly.
3: Yeah, I was surprised to see how often uh, these experts were... Encouraging parents to even just ignore tantrum behavior. Right. You walk away, you let them scream their little heads off, and it, because if you give it too much attention, and even if you punish that specific behavior, they might interpret it as some kind of positive reinforcement, because they just want attention. Right. And if they can get attention by throwing themselves on the floor or pitching some kind of fit, then it's raising the stakes again, that it will happen more often.
0: Exactly. And they point out that you should not use the ignoring technique if there are bigger problems, like if your kid is biting everybody else at daycare, or if there are underlying conditions like hearing or vision problems or learning disabilities.
3: Uh, and I thought this was interesting, too. Uh, child clinical psychologist Alan E. Kasdan, who's also an expert in temper tantrums, uh, says that you should not bother explaining to a child why temper tantrums shouldn't happen don't try to get moral with them focus only on that positive behavior than you'd rather see and and again that's almost a way of just ignoring the negative behavior and only focusing and reasoning with them saying actually i would like you to use your words next time and this is how i i guess i would talk to my child
0: (laughs) robot mom hello child (laughs) Yeah, and there's also the use of timeouts. I think timeouts are good because it does give them that forced cooling off period.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert snagajob.com where America goes to hire
4: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love.
3: There's joy in every journey.
0: You know, instead of letting themselves scream into oblivion and then pass out on the floor in Mm -hmm. tears, just put them in a chair and, um, you know, they recommend a specific chair or a specific corner or whatever. So it's it's kind of in their mind connected with, okay, I've got to chill out. And actually, I thought it was interesting that they recommend one minute of timeout for each year of age. Yeah, it's not much, but
3: maybe it's because... Again the average duration of a tantrum only 3 minutes. And I mean I say only. I'm sure parents who are listening to this are like are these women crazy? <laughs> this is this is the worst 3 minutes ever. Probably feels like an hour. Uh, and of course, temper tantrum behavior can also become problematic. Typically, um, when the frequency and duration of tantrums escalate to three or more tantrums per day, lasting more than 15 minutes, it could qualify as disordered behavior.
0: Right. And some of the red flags for this behavior coming from the American Academy of Pediatrics, Uh, They point to an increase in tantrums after age four. So I really hope my doorstop throwing was before age four. Uh, Deliberate attempts to injure themselves, others, or property holding their breath until they faint, exhibiting signs of mental disturbance, such as recurring nightmares, refusal to potty train, and intensive separation anxiety.
3: And that supports the findings of a 2007 study published in Pediatrics, um, which basically said that healthy kids are less likely to, even when they do get upset like this, they're less likely to grow violent, injure themselves, destroy things, or become verbally combative. But... If we have now freaked out all the parents of young children out there who have had crazy tantrums before, don't worry, about 20% of quote-unquote mentally stable preschoolers exhibit this behavior periodically.
0: Is there a mentally stable preschooler?
3: Yeah, sure, <laughs> says the childless <laughs> woman who gets to hang out with her you know, nieces and nephews and then hand them back. Because right. they're in great moods usually when I come around. You know, it's, it's rare for me to, to see any kind of tantrum behavior. Um, but there was some controversy that's come up recently around more extreme temper tantrum behavior. And it's all due to the fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders that is coming out in May 2013. It's published by the American Psychiatric Association and essentially the DSM is the handbook for diagnosing psychiatric and psychological disorders. And there has been a proposed addition of disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, which is essentially extreme temper tantrums in children older than six that would be classified as a mental illness.
0: Right. And they point out that it's, uh, distinguished from pediatric bipolar disorder, which is a completely different, different But a lot of clinicians are
3: taking issue with this proposed change because they're concerned that this is pathologizing behavior that could lead to even more kids on antidepressants and antipsychotic drugs because I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but the rates of pediatric bipolar disorder diagnoses and um, adolescent depression diagnoses have skyrocketed in the past decade and so some doctors are saying hey are we just are we really going to turn every unpleasant behavior into some kind of mental illness
0: yeah maybe parents are just more and more don't want to deal with it possibly and so they're like oh my god my kid is screaming in the grocery store
3: medicine yeah I mean and that's a question you know to turn to parents out there I mean is that is that something that comes up when you're talking two other parents, although I have a feeling that might be more of like a quiet secret that you keep to yourself, that you wish you could give your child an anti-temper tantrum pill. Wouldn't
0: that be magical? I would like to take, I would
3: take an, <laughs> an adult temper anti-temper tantrum pill, you know, to so that I wouldn't
0: have to cry in Trader Joe's anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I would like to uh, have a double dose anytime I move, because Ooh. that's the last time I threw like a major major fit and i just i just kind of i did the silent thing like i just stopped everything i was doing and turned around and looked at my mother and just started crying and kind of put my head on her shoulder (laughs) it happens to me too you know and that when the when the prefrontal cortex kind
3: of shuts down for a second they're like (laughs) we're gonna take a little break and the cortisol (laughs) the cortisol spikes you just sometimes you just need to cry yeah um and the thing is temper tantrums will also as you hinted at earlier caroline roll back around, not so surprising, during the teen years, because, speaking of the PFC, it goes through yet another growth spurt in the brain.
0: It does. San Diego State University Neurologist found that right around the time that puberty starts, kids actually lose the ability to quickly recognize other people's emotions. So all of a sudden, around age 11... Everything's confusing. Social situations are awkward. You don't, you're not thinking as much about what other people are thinking. And it starts to get better. Like the little fraggles in your brain are like, do, 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 sticking everything back together in the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex that they have just remodeled. And by the time you're 18 and ready to go off to college, you're <laughs> relatively speaking back to normal. But it takes
3: 18 years for the PFC to really mature. And that's, uh, it, I think it's really fascinating that the one, one piece of your brain that controls so much social behavior is under construction for so long. Like you think that evolution could have maybe, I don't know, <laughs> done something to, to speed that process up so that we don't have to go through so many phases of being just jerks <laughs> when we're under 18. I know. And also take into account too, not only do you have This brain remodeling going on during the teen years, but also, hello, puberty, hormones. Could the world be more confusing? And you have words, which means that you then, therefore, have an explanation for why so much bad poetry exists (laughs) in my high school diaries.
0: (laughs) You and me both, sister. I wrote terrible poetry, and it was all on my GeoCities website, and that stuff was eliminated yeah cities you didn't even give me a chance to archive it.
3: yeah, mine mine uh, is fortunately or or unfortunately, I don't know. it is archived in hard copies of diaries and whew, yeah. Just volumes of sad poetry.
0: Yeah, well, I, I just thought the link was so interesting, because I, I never really thought of the teenage years as another temper tantrum phase. I mean, yeah. I just thought, you know, kids are jerks. What do you think about teen angst and teen rebellion? Yeah, it's because nothing is making sense to them anymore. Everything's confusing. They're growing up, they're all, all hormonal, they like people, they have crushes, and they just can't figure stuff out. And, you know, parents just don't understand.
3: They don't They don't understand. They don't understand that, yeah, you have all of that going on and the expectation expectations for how they should be, you know, teens should be more responsible for themselves and rightly so, but still that can, that can certainly be a lot, at least it was for me.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, they've got the whole impulsive behavior thing going on, mm. you know, the poor decision-making skills and all that stuff. So it's, it's like you have a toddler again, again. that's yeah. exciting for Except you. Except the toddler that can drive too. How about that? Uh, <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> So this, this, ti- this, this
3: episode can be alternately titled, How to Terrify Anyone Who's Thinking About Having a Child from Having a Child. It
0: is terrifying, but at least it's comforting to know that it's normal and natural. And yeah, some kids might be more prone to have like horrific temper tantrums. I will not name any children.
3: Uh, all right. Alright,
0: doorstop. Alright, doorstop. <laughs> uh yeah, I was just gonna not mention that again. Um but it it is a normal part of of childhood. And you might have a very happy baby who grows into a very happy toddler who just happens to have a bunch of meltdowns. Yeah,
3: yeah. And um yeah, in a way writing it was it was relieving because it does give and offer an explanation for behavior that is usually you know, you get the finger wag from people saying You know, quiet down your toddler.
0: Yeah. Well, so, okay, you get a good year Mm -hmm. after they're born. You get a good year. Yeah. And then you get like three or so years of just awful. Mm -hmm. And then about seven of pretty good. Yeah. And then they're off at college, so no more worries. Hey. Really. We should write a parenting guide. We should. I'll put that in a pamphlet.
3: (laughs) So that is how temper tantrums work. It's all about the prefrontal cortex and cortisol, Mm -hmm. and it's totally normal behavior. Although, of course, if it gets too bad, then you could have some kind of disorder on your hand. Or, like you said, the the underlying signs of learning disabilities Mm -hmm. or hearing problems... Things like that. So now it's time to turn it over to our parents out there. How do you deal with temper tantrums? I mean, are we making it seem like no big deal? Are we oversimplifying this thing? Um, do you get judged by parents or, or other people in public if your child has a meltdown? Let us know your thoughts. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send all of your letters and stories that we would love to hear. And in the meantime, I've got a letter here from Cynthia on a podcast we did a while ago on Do Doctors Listen to Women? Now, Cynthia's story is pretty epic. So I'll give you... I'll give you the nuts and bolts, all right? So she's about 19 years old. She says, I visited a new doctor after moving to a new state, and upon looking at my history before he'd even spoken to me, he diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome. He stuck with his diagnosis even after an internal ultrasound refuted his conclusion and looked no further. But her health problems continued, and she said, I went to see a doctor for cluster headaches. She decided that I had allergic sinusitis and sent me home with some antibiotics and an allergy medication, when a few days later, I could barely even open my eyes and called her office in an attempt to get an MRI referral. After arguing with her entire staff until I got to her personally, and after some more arguing, I had my referral. It turned out that I had a gigantic brain tumor and a prognosis of six weeks to live if it went untreated. I was transferred to a different hospital via ambulance for emergency surgery. I am now going on 33 and on disability, but very much alive. Now, at nearly 34, I advocate on behalf of others when I can and take any opportunity which presents itself to remind people that their doctor is their employee, not God, and that they, the patient, are in charge and get to decide when they're satisfied with a diagnosis And when enough diagnostics have been done, it's incredibly important that women be more vocal and remember who is paying whom. Be your own advocate. So scary story from Cynthia. And I'm glad to hear that she is doing better.
0: Okay. This is from Angela about our sex talk podcast. She said that during this episode, you made the comment that perhaps it's easier to talk to your mom than your dad if you're a girl. But from my personal experience, I had a much easier time talking to my father rather than my mother. My mother never actually had the talk with me. When I hit 12, she gave me these books that were published in 1975 that discussed how the human body matured, how girls had their periods, what happened to boys, and sex. I learned through these outdated books and from school. I was afraid of the whole thing, and I never went to my mom. My mom had me before she turned 19, so I wonder if that's what made her afraid. I started my period at my father's house. My stepmother tried, but it was my dad who told me that it was okay, that I wasn't sick, that it was natural, and that it just meant that I was growing up. He explained what it was for and that eventually when I wanted it to, I could probably have kids because of having my period. Fast forward to when I had a boyfriend. My dad is the one who asked me how far I was getting with him and whether we were approaching sex. I was frank and forward with him, and my dad basically warned me that if I wanted to, it was fine just to protect myself. But he also told me that if I didn't want to for whatever reason, then I should stick to that and do what was best for me. When the big event finally did happen, my dad was the first one to figure it out. He trusted my decisions and knew that I trusted the guy who is now my husband. So, despite the fact that there was this awkwardness talking to my dad, I'm grateful that I had that sounding board. My husband didn't have one and found it very difficult to approach this topic for the first time with every girlfriend he's had.
3: So, thanks to everybody who's written in momstuff@discovery.com is where you can send your letters and you can also find us on Facebook where I would also like to thank everyone who pushed us over the 10,000 fan
0: mark. Woo! That was very exciting. Woo! That's, yeah. that's, a, that's crowds cheering. Not just us breathing. I mean, yeah. it is. But we'll you know. Know. Okay. And
3: you can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can read How Temper Tantrums Work by me, Kristen Conger, at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands
2: of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.